Hey gang, and welcome to another episode of the Just Get Started podcast. I'm your host, Brian Andreco, and thanks again for being a part of this journey. On today's episode, I welcome in Ryan Culp, who is the founder of Terminal, and it's spelled T-R-M-N-L. Ryan is a serial founder and self-taught developer. He built FOMO.com from 2016 to 2022 when it was acquired and spent two years pursuing entertainment in Korea before relocating to a 50-acre ranch outside Atlanta. In his free time, he writes and records music and practices calisthenics. And we had quite the wide-ranging conversation, so I hope you all enjoy this interview with Ryan Culp. Without further ado, let's get it started. Ryan, welcome to the podcast. Good to have you today. Thanks for having me, Brian. Well, I always love, you know, I've been doing this podcast for six years now and just the randomness of connections and how serendipity works out, how we connected um, about a month ago or so. So I appreciate you coming on. You've done a lot and it's what's really cool, at least from what I could look from the outside since we've never met, but but the research I've done is you're not scared to take chances and try new things and see what works, what doesn't pivot, you know? And I think that's something a lot of us struggle with, I know I struggled for a lot of years with getting out of the gate and trying new things because I was such in this comfort zone of like, no, this is how life has to be. So I'm curious to get your thoughts on that today and maybe maybe help some folks get started, especially coming here in the new year. Um, I thought I'd start out and maybe just kind of a, a random softball maybe to begin. Like when you think about new projects, what goes into the thinking of, am I going to take the time and energy to start this versus maybe saying no? Are there any like systems you have in place to think through it? Or is it more of a gut check? What are some of the things you think about when that first idea strikes? You know, that productivity advice of, we've all heard this, if it takes five minutes to do, just do it, something like that. When you're reviewing your your tasks, maybe it's clean your desk or whatever. And there's uh, this idea that you shouldn't really schedule things or or think too deeply about the tasks you need to do that can be done very quickly. Uh, there's that other phrase, what should be done eventually must be done immediately, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And those are productivity, project management type of bits of advice. However, I've actually tried to apply those. I think I have applied those to ideas and uh, you do that by just having a, a quick, scrappy, I don't want to say strategy, sounds too formal, but by having a sort of way you go about testing ideas. And if you can test things very quickly, then having a new quote unquote business idea isn't really like that special. And it's not something you feel like you need to work yourself up to get started on or to try. And so a lot of things that, uh, that pop on my mind, whether it's a little app or I don't know, whatever, just something I want to share or create or make kind of like, well, if I can get it done in half a day, a day, why don't I just do it? And that's almost my first and, and most important filter. If I can try something really quickly, I just try it. I don't make a business plan. I don't, uh, and maybe quickly could also mean, uh, with low to no money mm-hmm. with, few to no other collaborators involved because once you start involving other people, uh, sacrifices like needing gear, goods, money, new, whatever, suddenly you do want to probably evaluate your idea through a lot of additional filters. 
And so I have those other filters as well, and we can talk about them, and they're always on standby when I think I have a bigger idea. But what I've found to be the case is that most of my ideas are very, very puny. They're very small ideas. They might make 10 or 100, or even if they make 10,000 people happier, that doesn't mean they make any money, or that doesn't mean I need to quit my job to, to work on them. It doesn't mean that I need to spend more than even a day or two making it come, you know, bringing it to life. And so speed is probably my first and most valuable filter to just try things. And, and you know, note, I didn't mention confidence, gut, and some of the other things you alluded to. Sure, I've probably developed those over the years of deploying dozens of these ideas, but uh, just having that first and most important gate be like, ah, can I do this in a day and see what happens has been probably the most useful um, approach for me. And I like the idea of speed of just accomplishing it and something that's, what would it, would you categorize as something that's worthy to accomplish? Meaning, you know, if we, if we take like the Eisenhower matrix, right, that not important, urgent category, the FedEx, you know, delivery driver, like that distracts us. Like certainly those things happen, but really it's what's the focus project that we've been wanting to work on. That's where we want to, make the effort for the speed, right? Yes. However, uh, I tweeted this a couple of months ago, <clears throat> right before quitting Twitter for the time being. <laughs> I said, uh, the longer you've had that idea, the worse the idea is. Because I think a lot of people are tinkering with what they think might be their, so to speak, escape hatch from their day job, or even if they're already an entrepreneur or, or basically an entrepreneur freelancing or working at a small startup, they're sort of like tinkering with some idea. And I've met many people who have been tinkering with their idea for months or even a few years. And if they ever get around developers or engineers or whoever the counterpart would be for their idea, they sort of start to tell them, well, I've been working on this thing and they haven't really been working on it. And so I think, you know, yes, the Eisenhower matrix, important, urgent is really important and urgent later, but at first you can kind of ignore it. Like just, just make all of your silly ideas urgent and just do them. Uh, even yesterday, it was yesterday, two days ago, right? We're finishing up Christmas time, family's still here. I kind of was getting a little bit restless with all of my video games and relaxing. And I had always wanted a tiny little utility when I'm coding, something that just helps me see a, a bit of my code. I don't even want to explain it. It's such a tiny dinky thing. Yeah. And I sat down, I was like, I'm just going to do it. And it's not important, but I gave it a ton of urgency. And I made the little utility. I released it. It's Ruby Gym, like an open source library. And then I went on Reddit, uh, on the Ruby subreddit, and on the Ruby on Rails subreddit. And I cross-posted. I basically just spammed, you know, hey, introducing this tool, check it out. And then I went back and checked the stats a few hours later. I had some upvotes. I had some, uh, uh, some comments. And I had hundreds of downloads of this utility. This utility is like so unimportant, but I created, I forced it to have urgency. And I think what happens is if you give all of your little ideas, again, little, or the ideas that you can accomplish quickly with few or no collaborators, with little or no money, give them all urgency, sort of just like slab it on there like a bunch of butter. And then over time, as you essentially waste time <laughs> building a bunch of stuff that doesn't, that doesn't move the needle, 
your judgment will develop, and then you'll be able to start filtering things for important, or you'll be able to start seeing ideas as like, this is good, or this is bad, or this is too niche, or this is a big idea. But you kind of got to get the reps in. So I suggest to get started with people, just, just do all of your little ideas. I used to keep a not to-do list where it would be something on my to-do list, and I kept deferring it like putting it to the next day or the next week or even my next month calendar because it, it was clear to me after a few weeks or months that hey this is not that important to me right i keep delaying this to do for whatever reason and so originally i used to delete those to do's and kind of give myself the freedom of uh you know like delete or delegate there's there's all these expressions again this is all productivity guru stuff mm -hmm. and i started deleting my to do's and i thought why don't i just track the things that i intentionally don't want to do and I can reflect on it later. And sometimes it would be like, you know, I don't know, dust a shelf that I never go to in my house or something. And what I started doing was when I got bored, I would do my not to do's. Mm. Okay. <laughs> and so again, there's always a way to kind of like, I don't want to say trick yourself, but there's a way to prioritize your ideas and get them done. But first focus on just the throughput and the repetitions and then as you do that, ironically, the quality of your ideas will get better and your, your filtering mechanism will get better too. Well, I know what's interesting too, when you were saying that, it, it reminded me like, let's say the shelf idea, right? Like clean the shelf. By doing that, you actually start gaining confidence that you can complete things. Because I think we have so many open doors and we never walk through them and close it behind. And, and whether we want to continue doing it or not, we don't do a lot of things. And I think that's where a lot of folks, they have these boulders that are just sitting on them because they can't get things done. Would, would you kind of, do you see that with folks that you talk and work with? Like it's more of, it's not that they don't have ideas at all. It's that they never actually do anything with the ideas. They just keep sitting and sitting and sitting and weighing on them over time. Yeah, there, it, it's, I treat these people like specimens and I'm studying them and I'm still trying to understand. And I, I know many of them, they surround us. Uh, people full of ideas, some of them are pretty good and they're not moving on them. And the expression I always hear is I don't either, I don't know where to start. Okay. Or almost the opposite, which is they're intensely confident in what they need to do to start, but for X, Y, Z reasons, which they also have readily available, they cannot, uh, a lot of times, at least in tech, that is, you know, I cannot code. I need code to bring this to life. Therefore, I need a developer, but a developer needs to get paid a lot of money. Therefore, and I don't have money. Therefore, I can't start. So they they sort of like already subscribe to those um, non-starter reasons before they try to get started. It's like it's like almost a thing, you know. That there's a there's a, a idea guy kind of goes to a meetup, a tech meetup or party, and everybody wants to avoid them. There's kind of like a, a stereotype of this. Right. They have the idea. They already know they can't do it. Here's their 15 intellectualized reasons why they can't do it. And then everyone who has to sit through those reasons who kind of sees the light at the end of the tunnel, you know, I see how they could maybe get it done. It's like we're on two different parallel universes. And I've tried a lot over the years to um, help those people, not necessarily like coaching them directly, but just writing about things and trying to be encouraging that there's sort of like um, 
a, a way if there's a will, but it is, it is tough. And I'm, you know, I'm glad that we're talking about this today because I want to think out loud through some more of these maybe techniques that can help people, you know, do what they know they need to do, which is just start. What's I'm, I'm going to butcher the quote, but what's the quote? Like everyone has a, they have a problem to a solution or something. You know what I'm talking about? Like it's, it's the person that always comes up with an excuse. Like you might give them like, Oh, Hey, have you considered this? Like, no, 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 that won't work instead of, because I think there, it's kind of that, uh, the old adage of like, the more you learn, the less, you know, because there's so much out there. There's such a big world. So you can't know that you have all the check boxes of why it doesn't work. Cause there's gotta be things that you could try that could work if you're willing to step outside and, and ultimately try it. Uh, cause I think that's where a lot of, I think that's where a lot of folks struggle. It's like the, yeah, it's just not going to, it's again, I can't code or I don't know this person or I'm not in Silicon Valley, so it's never going to fly. Or I don't know any VCs or what, you know, like I said, we can come up with a million things, but it's like, there's so many alternatives. It might not be exactly as you envisioned, but it doesn't mean it couldn't work or, or at least move you off the goal line, you know, down the field. Right. I think that's where it's like, it's like, what's the smallest step to get started. And then you take another small step. It's not building this thing out in the next Instagram tomorrow, you know? Yeah, that's a good point too. And, and not only that it, it's small steps, but even the vision itself, making it smaller. So you can take a big step towards a smaller version of what you're trying to do. And no matter how many skills you have or how much access to resources you have, whether that's people or capital, you're constantly gonna still have to resize the opportunity, resize the solution that you've been envisioning. It's just like a normal part of life. You know, I'm starting a new hardware company literally this week, just finished a, a small fundraise, just formed the entity, making the bank account, literally starting to code and build everything this week. And, uh, you know, I've already cut the original vision, not in half, like by 67% based on the resources I was able to gather the timeline we've created between now and when we want to go to market and launch. And I've been doing this for many years, you know, building startups and SaaS and things, uh, working on side projects, but I still found myself even in the last couple of weeks going, okay, this feature is going to have to go away. This thing isn't going to happen until maybe one year from now, this will be contingent upon X level of success. Uh, I still had to go through, uh, put the idea through the chopping block mm -hmm. to make it something feasible and what's feasible for me and what's feasible for you. These are always going to be different, uh, different values for each of us. So a lot of this is really self-awareness to figure out how the, the maximum, the scope of your idea to your current potential. But then the comforting thing is realizing that your, you know, what's that Zopar zone of competence is always expanding if you want it to. And so even though you might only be able, you know, you want to own, I don't know, the next McDonald's. Okay. So we'll say you start with the burger at one spot. Well, maybe you can't even start with one spot. Maybe you start with the food truck. Well, maybe you can't even start with the food truck. So you just do the Saturday morning fairs, mm -hmm. right? Where people come up to your booth sure. and then you don't need the commercial kitchen and all mm -hmm. of that, right? Or maybe you can't start there. So you start with a, a recipe blog with, you know, the bestburgers.com. And uh, when people start to say, I love it, how it tastes, whatever, they can buy your recipe packs on Etsy. You know, like there's yeah. always a way to scope an idea down. And that idea can then be 
ratcheted back up to your full vision if you let it, but it takes self-awareness A, but it also requires swallowing your pride. And this is something I've had to do many, many times. And I think it gets easier to swallow your pride the more times you fail, because it also lets you, you, you find some refuge in the fact that your evaluation of your idea doesn't really matter that much. It matters to the extent that it helps you get started. It motivates you to put down the, the PlayStation controller, but ultimately it doesn't matter what you think, it matters what the market thinks. And that's kind of a comforting thing because you can stay confident in your own, your own taste, your own sensibilities, because you can realize, you, you will realize very quickly that the thing you thought was amazing, nobody cared. And the little side project you shipped in a weekend because you were bored really took off. I have many of those, you know, examples in my own kind of career. And um, as again, as you go through that loop over and over again, you're able to separate your your ego from from the outcome of the work, and then just you know focus on the inputs. Mm. Yeah, there's a lot of good stuff there. Let's let's dig into a little bit of that. And I think about this from your your hardware business, like the idea of like what's three years out or five years out look like versus next week. And I think a lot of times we get stuck because we're so thinking of that. Like you, I think you made the great point about the restaurant. It's like starting a restaurant. I just had uh, Todd Henry on. He was telling a story about his friend who just decided like, oh, I want to start a pop-up restaurant. I'm going to do it like on a Saturday night and I'm going to do it one time. That's it. If that's so much more achievable than I'm going to start a restaurant, okay, I got to get a location, property, I got to, you know, learn how to cook, maybe I have to hire a chef, all these things that go into it. That's a huge, and by the way, you might get to that point and be like, shit, this is not what I want to do. But going back to, no, actually, I want to create, you know, an online blog and talk to people about recipes, or I want to do some coaching, or you don't always know that right out of the gate. So I think to your point, like, starting something small and then iterating and you kind of go down this weaving path where you don't know what the outcome is, but if you keep having output and you keep trying things, you ultimately get to a better spot. So I know there's a lot there, but I'm kind of curious how you think about the short term, you know, the day, the week versus these long-term visions. Like how do you battle against those things? Well, for one thing, as something starts working or not working, that gives you the next direction. It's like they're breadcrumbs. So let's say you want to do the restaurant thing, but you start with the foodie blog or you start with a one-time pop-up shop or you become sort of a mobile chef and you just list yourself on Craigslist in your local area. You know, I specialize in doing like a burger and fries dinner, minimum four top, you know, minimum 250 bucks and I'll come out to your house or whatever and do it. As, as you do it and it works, you get pushed into the right, you know, you get pushed into that direction to, to expand the vision. Mm -hmm. And if it doesn't work, you kind of get reminded that, Hey, maybe those other ideas on the shelf are worth pursuing as well. Um, but there's uh, one thing to consider here is all of the variables at play. And all of us know intuitively from high school science that when you want to test something, you want as few variables as possible to be, to be changed. You want everything to be fixed and controlled. And of course, quote unquote, business, ideas, marketing, all of this is very, can be very messy, but you can still try to remove some of at least the biggest variables that get in the way of knowing the truth. And the truth is people want your idea, they don't, right? That's the truth. And there's so many things in the way of 
of, you know, let's take a burger place again. Is it the logo? Is it the location? There's a million things in the way, but one of the biggest variables to impeding or helping someone succeed with a new business idea is price pricing and the common rhetoric right now, or for the last 10 years with pricing is basically charge more, right? Whether you do consulting, whether you have a software tool, um, whatever it is you do, pet grooming, everybody's charging more and more plus tip plus this, plus all these fees. Everything that used to be a one-time fee is going to subscription, you know, looking at ePhotoshop. And so one of my suggestions would be actually to remove price from the equation because it's one of the biggest variables. It's going to, one of the most critical variables that your potential consumers are going to consider when they want to transact with you or not is what the price is. And yes, at some point, if this thing works, it needs to be sustainable and you should make a profit, blah, blah, blah. But on day one, you just really want to know, do people want this? That is the truth, right? The truth has nothing to do with um, exactly how many, much margin you can eke out. And so in a very general sense, I would suggest um, taking your idea down to the level that you can basically give it away. So uh, back to the restaurant thing, every uh, scenario we've looked at so far is you need a lot of money, less money, less money, less money, less money. That's fine. Instead, if we flip it as like, you need people to give you a lot of money, uh, you need people to give you less money, or you need people to give you no money. Um, if your burger's so great, you should be able to give away the recipe and people will leave you comments and say it's great, right? And say something that, you know, you're a good chef, leave a reviews, and then you can go do the mobile chef thing, and then you can open the pop-up, and then you can open the, the next McDonald's. Um, I've constantly tried to give away most of what I make. I think I uh, charge for like 10% of the projects I've built cost money, and 90% of them are free whether that's courses or just essays, blog posts, obviously doing different podcasts and shows, YouTube vlogs, anything I've ever tried to create, 90% of it is free because that removes that huge variable um, that makes things otherwise really muddy and difficult to evaluate uh, in terms of their viability. Hmm. Well, and, and I would imagine, I mean, I guess I've experienced this, like, the free is not like, it's kind of like that lost leader in a, if you go into a store, it gets people to maybe expose to yourself and then, or to your product. And then it moves them down the path of the things that you are trying to you know charge for. So there's definitely some merit to that. And I think about the idea of like, I like the farmer's market idea of like, yeah, you don't sell a restaurant. Maybe I have a few, you know, I have one small little product that I bring to the farmer's market. I give, I do taste tests with it. Maybe you charge for a bigger bundle if they want to buy it after the fact, but you're start, all you're trying to do is figure out, yeah, do people like this or not? Because why would you open a whole store with this product if no one's going to buy it? You have to actually see if people come back for more and come back for more. And that's how, like, even a lot of these products you see, like on Shark Tank, they started from like that, you know, they had friends and family try it and they were asking for it again and again. So they started to make it, you know, so I think that's not a bad, um, a bad way to think about it. The, uh, the other thing too, I'm actually curious how you, how you think about this or talk with, you know, friends and family about this is ideas because we all have ideas, but most folks, it seems like they don't want to share the idea because they think someone's going to steal it. Even though most likely like we talked about earlier, a lot of people aren't even going to do anything with the idea. So how do you kind of, I guess, uh, square that circle, if you will, of like telling people to go forward with their idea, tell people about it, like bring it out to the world, because most of the time 
no one cares anyways at this point. They're going to think you're like probably crazy just because of the idea you're sharing, right? Yeah, well, you know, it's tough. It's a bit of tough love incoming uh, warning. But when someone values their idea to the extent that they're nervous to tell people, they have a very long way to go. Um, when they're at least willing to tell everybody, I think they've overcome, they've already overcome a huge barrier. Um, now that just telling people is not enough. You do need to act on it and bring it to life. But we could almost, I would almost argue that the first step to getting started with your ideas is overcoming the innate desire to keep it a secret until it exists. Um, that's actually the best first step to take. Maybe don't lift a finger, don't open up a new business checking account, don't try to make a prototype, maybe don't do any of that. Your first step can just be telling people. Um, if you're not willing to tell people, the rest, it's never gonna happen. Because let's say that you have this big idea and uh, but you need to hire 10 people. Well, even when you go to hire those 10 people and even if you get all the money to do that, you have to then tell those 10 people. So you will always, always, always need to share your idea uh, tirelessly to whether it's to potential customers, to potential employees, partners, whatever. Um, if you're still at the stage where you're afraid to share it, that's really probably um, the best first step. And in terms of, you know, what is the viability of someone stealing an idea? You know, I've surrounded myself with very creative entrepreneurs for a very long time, over half of my life about, and I've never, heard of anyone stealing someone's idea like i've seen app go live and a few months later another app has the same words on the home page or you know similar features or, or colors and we would call that being a copycat or something like that but even that is not the same as stealing an idea right if that's true then 99 of every business out there is a, is a stolen idea there's always going to be copycats to things that work and that's fine. And, you know, you can duke that out in court if it goes too far. But in terms of the idea stage, I've not witnessed an idea get stolen because an idea is so, um, is such a kernel that it's, it's kind of like not worth stealing. <laughs> it's not worth breaking into the bank to get a, uh, a piece of stationery with the CEO's name in the corner and then thinking that you're gonna write a letter to somewhere and make stuff happen because it has his name in the top corner. There's gonna be additional checks and balances somewhere in there. The left hand's gonna talk to the right hand and that branded stationery you got with the signature pre-printed at the bottom isn't gonna give you the outcome you think it will. There's gonna be another, there's gonna be another check. And I think we can think of ideas like that. I personally have struggled in my life with sharing certain ideas but it was more for the reason of thinking it was too uh, immature. It wasn't yet incubated. I didn't yet have the, the right words to express it, to summarize it, to kind of pitch it to someone in an exciting way. So I have kept ideas to myself when I'm still in that incubation stage. But once I think this idea is worth spending any amount of time or resources on, I'm telling people. And that is, is in itself a muscle that you should practice and flex because after you get used to telling people, then you can start actually building it. And it's not, so when you're telling people, 
you're you're looking for the positive, but you're also looking for a negative too. Like you want people to probably say they don't like the idea or here's what, like show you the edges that you can't see. That's important just as well as, hey, go get them. You know, that's the, you know, go after it kind of thing, right? Yes, but I'd say you don't want people to criticize it. You need people to criticize it. So oh. it's okay <laughs> if you start telling people your ideas and you're not stoked when you get the bad feedback. You don't have to beat yourself up and say, well, I think that real entrepreneurs, um, they, they really thrive with this negative. No, I don't think so. Nobody wants the negative criticism. And there are some times where I tell someone an idea and if they are not qualified to criticize the idea, their negative criticism is, is truly damaging because if you trust and value that person's opinions in a general way, and then they give you some discouraging, maybe not even discouraging, but they say, this is great. And I think you should do it in this direction. That could be really damaging. So you still always have to maintain your conviction and you have to consider yourself the supreme judge of, of the idea's viability. But um, that's, again, and that becomes another sub skill here is when I have an idea, like a hardware idea, I want to go pitch it to people who know electronics and hardware and, mm -hmm. and that kind of thing and manufacturing. I don't care that much about pitching it and getting the opinion of people whose job is to get people to click ads, you know, for a living. But then if I have a marketing idea, I only want to talk to people in marketing and advertising, and I couldn't care less what some dork says on Hacker News talking about DIY, you know, tutorials for, for building stuff at home and smart IoT, whatever. You really have to choose who you tell your idea to. I don't think it makes sense to tell your mom, she says, great, and then you go for it. You do need to have a little bit more um, uh, specificity in who you leak things to so that you get qualified um, criticism. But yeah, what you're saying is definitely true that sometimes the negative criticism can really help you fortify the idea and make it stronger. Um, but if the negative criticism gets you super deflated um it could be also the case that this isn't a very good idea and that's fine too because now by sharing your idea you got pointed in the direction of hey ryan maybe you should go work on a new idea hmm. and then when you start sharing that idea so even that criticism at the end of the day can propel you to a great outcome by potentially indirectly propelling you away from the thing that you were actually trying to work on and towards something that's even better yeah well, and actually, it reminded me, I just saw, um, I don't know if this was done recently or a while back, but Brian Chesky was talking about Airbnb and like the the whole idea of like being misunderstood in those early days, like sharing this idea and people were like, yeah, that'll never work or that won't, you know, that won't be good. But almost seeing ahead of what everyone else sees, it's kind of like, I think when the iPhone, you know, no one ever thought of the iPhone in its current iteration, but that was obviously a vision, you know, well before. So sometimes the idea you're going to be off the wall and you know, you're going to be looked at crazy just for having an idea that is not in the current state. So I think sometimes you have to take a chance if you truly believe in it. You know, I think that's the reality. That's how a lot of great things get created. They never would have been thought of before. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, uh, Airbnb is a great example to think about that. I know that, uh, Paul Graham, I believe got permission from Fred Wilson to publish those emails between him and Fred when they were pitching at Y Combinator years ago, and he was trying to get uh, Union Square Ventures to invest. And Fred, in so many words, through six, seven, eight exchanges, was like, 
yeah, I just don't get it. Like, I don't see strangers wanting to crash at people's houses and feeling comfortable. Like, I don't get it. Mm -hmm. But it turned into this thing where now it feels very obvious. Like, of course, we would, on the seller side, want to sell the inventory we're not accessing, like our guest rooms or vacation houses. And on the buyer side, it's like, of course, you want a real kitchen to cook in and not have to eat, you know, and use the hotel fridge and get charged at the mini bar by accident because you touched the bottle. Like, it makes so much sense now, um, but it wasn't obvious then to most people. Um, and so, you know, you know, the Brian Chesky and his other couple co-founders had to have that conviction. Um, it's also worth worth um, exploring, though, that you don't have to decide, hey, am I at the point now, am I at a critical juncture where I need to be Brian Chesky and see this future universe that no one else is seeing? Mm -hmm. Or are all these people right? Because this can make things even even more cloudy, right? right? Like maybe maybe everyone else is crazy and I'm right, which was sort of like seemingly now the position that the Airbnb guys were in. But if you dig a little deeper, it's a little more nuanced than that, which is even back then, there were a lot of people happy to couch surf because there was already a site called couch surfing. Mm -hmm. There right. was already a community. It didn't have a bow on it. It didn't like cost money. It didn't have like protections and guarantees and insurance and in-app chat. Like it was just a little bit more like Craigslist. But there already was demand. The nuance in the 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 bet that Brian and these other uh, team members took was that this would be a multi-billion-dollar um, opportunity. Mm -hmm. So Fred Wilson isn't saying 10, 50, 100,000 people don't really want to do this every week or month. Uh, he's saying we don't see the average Joe Schmo doing it, which was a reasonable criticism. Mm -hmm. And that is an area that is a leap that they did take. And they had to be a little crazy and they, it worked, you know, but to be fair, um, even that negative criticism wasn't, um, wasn't saying, Hey, you're the visionary and nobody gets it, but you, it was just like, Hey, you want to raise millions of dollars from us. And our job is to make something worth billions of dollars. So it's worth remembering that and not thinking to yourself. Cause I think the inclination of a lot of people, when you have an idea and you start telling people and they don't love it. The inclination is to immediately be defensive and to point to these examples like Airbnb, even, even subconsciously is like, nobody understands um, the opportunity, but me, right. and that's not exactly what's going on. They just might not understand the opportunity in the way that you're pitching it. Airbnb pitched as a multi-billion dollar game changer when people were couch surfing didn't make sense to be fair. Mm -hmm. And so they, they, they didn't go through with that deal. They, it was a mistake in, you know, in retrospect, um, but the lesson to learn there is uh, again, it backs to who you, who's your audience. If your audience is a venture capitalist and you're pitching a niche idea, well, good luck with that. Right. You might have a great idea, but the, the venture capitalist doesn't care. So, who's your audience, and do you should you value their criticism? Mm -hmm. Well, and actually, also ties in what we were talking about earlier. Like the, the ideas don't necessarily matter; it's what you do with those ideas and how they iterate and innovate over time. Because I don't know when the first idea of the couch surfing came about. Was that 2005? Was that 1978? Like someone had that idea eventually, like that, that was spoken about, but you know, Brian and Joe and the guys like decided, okay, we're going to do it differently, right? We're going to take it into a different uh, market. So yeah, it just kind of comes back to just, if you have an idea, again, take those first few steps and then see what happens. Cause you don't really know day one, what it's going to turn into. You can't know it's impossible to know. That's right. The ideas evolve. And it's funny because a lot of times our, our one-liner idea sounds like a huge vision, mm -hmm. but when you start working on them, the vision gets bigger 
than when you just dream it up in your head. Um, You know, like even if you look at all of us have gotten the first row seat at Twitter, Um, everything that's happened to Twitter over the years, going startup, going public, kind of flailing, lots of spam users, Elon taking over, thinking how could they ever be worth 44 billion or how could they ever recoup the losses from advertisements? And now suddenly you log in and there's like AI and there's subscribers and there's just, there's elements and revenue models that even the greatest thinkers, uh, you know, tech visionaries, supposed, uh, couldn't have fathomed would be possible at Twitter, that people could launch like TV shows on Twitter. There's just so much going on now that previously Twitter was already fully formed, developed, mature company worth billions of dollars, and people still couldn't see the full vision. They still didn't get it that this is like the pulse of the universe. This could be, in theory, the source of truth for everything. Like people, it's almost its own internet, and uh, people just didn't get it. And now, you know, we've got people in in the cockpit who are making the vision even bigger, and that's for something that millions of people had already looked at and said, here's the potential. And the same thing happened with Uber. You know, there's that one economist who famously calculated why Uber is overvalued because here's the value of all the taxi markets in the world combined. It's like, but the detail you missed is that Uber is one of these things that makes the market, the total adjustable market bigger by sheer fact that it does exist. Mm -hmm. So there's like things and variables at play that you can't imagine until you get started. And so that's maybe the, the silver lining of the, beginning of this conversation where we said, you have an idea, it might be too big right now for your resources and your skill sets. So start small. And then I said that your idea can expand, right? Your vision can get bigger. But the funny thing is, and I found this to be true myself, is that by the time you get up and running, your feasible outcome actually becomes even bigger than your day one vision when it was all just in your head. So be willing to scale it back to get started and it's going to grow bigger than than you first imagined, and that's the um, that's how you hit you know that breakthrough uh, velocity, I guess. And uh, you get to stay true to your original idea without feeling like you're you're cutting corners and sacrificing. When you think of so going back to this hardware, because you've been building like SaaS products and stuff, like was it talking about going on? I, I like the the thought of we've been sticking on kind of the idea and, and how to get started. Like, how is there anything you'd share in terms of? whether it was Roblox or struggle, or maybe it was some epiphany, I don't know, of like, why go into hardware? Like, why, why take that angle, considering your history? I've always gravitated towards new challenges. A few years ago, I wanted to, you know, learn a new language. I moved to another country and studied language and did non-tech stuff. And each time, it's a good way to humble yourself and go back to zero and go back to being laughed at and go back to struggling to learn the fundamentals And, um, but through all these processes or different projects, I think I've learned how to learn. And so each new idea that is outside of my comfort zone, while on one hand, it's scary that I don't really know, like when the hardware idea struck a couple months back, I was like, I was just like anybody else. I said, I don't even know where to get started. So I like bought a Raspberry Pi and I was like, what's, what's a Raspberry Pi? I'd heard of these things. I texted some friends, like, should I get this? And I'm Googling around and I was in total, total beginner one-on-one mode all over again, even though I've been in technology for years. 
And then I spent a couple of weeks making prototypes and struggling and contacting the manufacturer in China through Alibaba because I thought I, my product was uh, was flawed, but it was just me not hooking up the ribbon cable correctly. You know, I've gone through those steps of completely restarting at step one over and over again. And each time you do it successfully and you come out the other side, you are um, more confident that you can do it again the next time. And so I'd say maybe the biggest difference between me and and people like you, you know, you and I are uh, and versus people who are not so great at getting started with the ideas is you kind of just need to get through that whole feedback loop like once and just remember, remember that feeling of the light being at the end of the tunnel that you were able to overcome the challenge and figure it out and launch the idea or whatever the case may be. And um, so I, I enjoy going through that practice myself and getting into hardware for me outside of the obvious or outside of what I just mentioned that I like challenges is um, I started trying to figure out how can I spend my work effort on something that doesn't have XYZ properties of my previous work. So in SaaS and software, you're always giving stuff away for free. You're doing like a week trial or free trials mm -hmm. and you spend a lot of effort converting people from the free trial to paid and you do email sequences and abandoned cart and all this stuff is fine. And you can use a lot of clever thinking to achieve those, you know, solve those problems, but I kind of hated it. And so I thought, well, if I get into hardware, I won't have to give anything away for free. Nobody expects physical particles, atoms sit to their door in a box for free, right? They know there's a cost Now they might complain about how much, but you don't have to deal with free trials, free users, freemium upgrades, mm -hmm. conversion rate, any of that. So I was like, that's, an, that's like a trait that I want to have in my next business. And that, that epiphany came before um, the realization that hardware would match it. So I was like kind of collecting, like, I want my next company not to have a free trial. I want my next company to be a minimum $100. I want my next company to be a consumer thing. I want my next company to be not as niche. And then I started just hanging out in the gym, garage, taking walks, whatever, however you come up with ideas and keeping a notepad. And it started to come together that, well, what if I had like a consumer electronics device that would sort of check all these boxes? Well, what should that device do and how would I build it? And I started looking around and saw some products. And then I saw a gap that none of those products and that that was, you know, everybody has their own way to find ideas. So I don't want to prescribe anything, but saw what I perceived as a gap, took a shower. The, the elevator pitch came to me physically in the shower. I jumped out and told my wife, like, this is it. This is my next company. And I've been working on it ever since that was six weeks ago. Um, so, wow. you know, the, even someone who's done it, I've done it dozens of times. Each idea comes through a slightly different mechanism. And the way I approach V1 is going to be different as well. I had to humble myself to learn from scratch. I wasn't able to just build it in a weekend. I had to hire people. I had to raise money. I had to do these different things that I haven't had to do before. Um, but again, where there's a will, there's a way. And it starts with that seed of confidence from having done the feedback loop at least once before. So the hack is like, what's the smallest feedback loop you can generate through your list of ideas? Mm -hmm. Because that will give you the, that will instill the confidence to then approach the bigger and bigger things. Mm. Are, are you prepared to say your elevator pitch? Can you say that? Oh, <laughs> are you been practicing it? I do not practice any of these things. I don't. I don't practice anything ever. I didn't practice violin when I would play an orchestra. <laughs> I don't practice before shows. Uh, elevator pitch is Bloomberg terminal, 
for software. The elevator pitch is a dedicated screen for content you care about. So I'm working on something called Terminal and it's a black and white e-ink display that you can put on your desk next to your monitor. And if you want to throw Google Analytics traffic there, podcast downloads, Shopify orders, whatever, you can put that on that screen. There's no buttons, there's no interactivity. It's not a touch screen. It is a read-only screen and it is uh, supposed to help you focus a bit better and delete a bunch of those Chrome tabs you have open, uh, unsubscribe from some emails and push notifications so that you can still have the information you need to be good at your job, but you don't have to feel so stressed and distracted uh, finding it. So we're gonna uncover that for you. Mm. Um, so that's what, that's what I've been building. Um, prototypes done working on the, the custom board now. We've got a device case done, we're, we're moving along and we're gonna launch through a, a crowdfunding campaign very soon. Awesome, man. Well, it sounds like a lot of fun. I'm sure it's exciting on your end doing something a little different outside your comfort zone, which is, uh, which is always cool to do. Um, any final words of encouragement, challenges, questions for the audience, anything you'd share to kind of wrap up our conversation? Yeah. I. I hesitate to say something new. I want to drill down on the main point here. Start by giving something away. You're going to get the feedback loop. You're going to get the positive criticism and the constructive criticism that's going to help make your idea better. And when you, and you'll know when it's the right time to start charging. There's no perfect formula. But if you keep giving things away and people keep saying, I appreciate that, start charging and send it to those same people, see what happens. Mm -hmm. And there's no magic conversion rate. There's no magic um, way that you'll know that you can measure in a spreadsheet. Uh, it's a little bit of a feeling, but the more you do it, the more you'll develop what that feeling is. Um, so to start, start by giving things away. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. And, and maybe one we'll end on here. Now you're not on Twitter anymore or at least for the time being. So where can folks say hello to you? Where's the, the best spot? I try to blog a couple times a month at ryancklp.com. And I may come back to Twitter, but uh, which was my primary social media, but I don't have any other profiles like LinkedIn or Ashley Madison or otherwise. <laughs> awesome, Ryan. Well, thank you so much, man. This was a lot of fun. I appreciate you coming on and uh, sharing some of your wisdom. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Hey everyone, and just one more quick thing before you head off on your day. If you're enjoying this podcast and are looking for other resources and tools to help you get started and move forward toward a happier and more fulfilling life, then I'd encourage you to head over to my website, brianondraco.com, and hit the subscribe button in the upper right corner. There you can find my newsletter and blog subscriptions, where I share insights and information around getting unstuck, perspective, mindset, relationships, habits, and much more. If you get a chance to sign up, I hope you enjoy. Thanks again for listening in and have a phenomenal day.